0: Hi, this is Blaine Bartlett and I'd like to welcome you to the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, I am your host, as I mentioned, Blaine Bartlett. Um, as those of you that have listened to the uh, program for some time know, the basis of the program and the thesis of the program is that you know, businesses have souls. Yeah. <laughs> just as if literally, uh, and, and this is my bias, everything has a soul. And I mentioned this just about every introduction. Um, Carl Jung was asked one time, and the philosopher Carl Jung, uh, to describe what he thought the soul may have been, and or you know what it was from his perspective. And his comment was actually I think quite relevant because he said that soul is that animating force. It's that that little voice at three o'clock in the morning, that when you have everything else quiet, you can actually hear it, and it's crying out to be more. It's calling out to be more, to grow, to expand, and. I grew up on a farm, and one of the things that I learned very early on in my uh, time you know, on the farm was that nature grows, you know, life grows. You know, there is nothing in nature that doesn't have in some way, shape, or form a growth gene associated with it. And When we start looking at the nature of organizations, uh, when we put people inside organizations, and the old uh, organizational development joke is we went away and designed the perfect organization and screwed it up when we put people in it. Um, the idea here is that people oftentimes feel constrained to grow in organizations. Uh, the, the structure and the, uh, the processes of most organizations, of many organizations, tend to constrain that spirit, that soul. So kind of a long segue into a conversation here about why is it important to pay attention to the soul of business? Well, it's important because it's what gives your organization life. It's what allows your organization to innovate. It's what allows creativity to flourish, all of that stuff. And part of that process, growth is messy. And I'm absolutely thrilled uh, to have uh, our guest today, uh, Liz Kislick, who is a uh, frequent contributor to the Harvard Business Review, uh, to Forbes, to Entrepreneur Magazine, uh, her t- she has a TEDx talk that has been viewed almost 200,000 times. Um, why there's so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it. And I don't want to you know, pigeonhole her in this uh, conversation because I want us to explore far more than that. But when we start growing organizations, conflict is going to be there. It, it can't not be that. It, I, in, in one sense, it's a sign of good health, assuming that it's treated well. So um, Liz, welcome to the show first of all.
1: Thank you, Blaine. I'm so happy to be here.
0: And with all of my guests, I start off with asking a very simple question. For you, when you hear the phrase, the soul of business, what does that evoke? What does that bring up for you?
1: I love the idea of the Jungian sense of animating force, because for me, I think of soul as essence, Mm -hmm. as what it really is underneath. And I actually think of businesses as having their own kind of life force that is actually separate from the leadership. It's obviously informed by the leadership. In many ways, it is begun by the leadership, but it becomes a kind of sum total of all the living force that's in the business. And that can be healthy or unhealthy. And when you ask the question, what flashed into my mind, I had a client years and years ago, and I would visit them periodically, and I would walk into the reception area, and every time there was somebody crying in a corner, different people, not the same person. And after this happened a few times, I actually thought, oh, it's not healthy to be here. And I finished the piece of work I was doing to be, you know, to do the right thing and finish what they expected of me. And then I severed the relationship because there was something so unwell there that not only did I not believe that I could help them make the change they claimed to want, but I didn't believe it was good for me to be there either. So, that's an example of that kind of animating force.
0: Yeah, and if it's you know if it gets constrained, and you know, I'm, yeah, every every consultant uh, worth their salt has got models that they work with, and um, I've been consulting for about forty years in various you know industry sectors. I mean, literally, just pick one, and I've probably been there, um, and as as have you, just based on what I know about you. Um, Yeah. Most traditional consulting interventions or practices or work with clients. Yeah. And this is a broad generic uh, commentary here, but vision, moving into strategy, moving into tactics. Yeah. So there's this kind of a hierarchy that comes into play here. And when we look at what Gallup um, seems to point out, you know, year after year after year, Uh, 87% of the workforce globally is uh, disconnected from work in some way, shape, or form, emotionally disengaged is is, is the way that they frame it. The focus on vision, strategy, tactics does not seem to be working particularly well. And (laughs) and that's where I got really interested about what's missing here. Uh, So yeah, we've got culture, Peter Drucker talks about that a lot, you know, and, and, and the organization you were just talking about, there was probably some very interesting cultural artifacts that were, yeah, you know, yeah, in place that were impinging on what I'm calling the soul, and the soul is that foundation, and it gets covered up very quickly, yeah, you know, by the organization's culture, people, people bring their own cultures in, uh, you know, I've got a culture that I call me, And it shows up and it mixes with somebody else's culture and then we have a culture and then it kind of goes out from there. And the next thing I know, if I'm not paying attention to it, my soul is covered up and so is my organization's soul. Uncovering that um, is the challenge. And that is where I think conflict starts to come into place because people have positions. They get positioned Mm -hmm. about their stories, about this is right, this is the way it is. So... Yeah, I'm very interested here in you know, your TED Talk, why there is so much conflict at work and what you can do to fix it. There's two pieces there. Why is it there and what can be done to fix it? So, yeah, I'm going to back off the, my soapbox <laughs> here and, and give you free reign to kind of run with this a little bit.
1: So the thing that strikes me, Blaine, is I don't operate out of a vision strategy tactics model. I get hired almost always when some leader thinks something is going wrong. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while it's more like just a checkup, go look and see, but almost always it's because there's a problem, usually a misdiagnosed problem, but a problem that has been around for a while. So the leader has already tried to do whatever the leader knows. Mm So when I'm there, I ask a lot of questions and what I'm looking for is, what is the pain? What is the suffering? What are the reactions that people are having that are negative? have to understand those, because those come from as real a place in any person as anything they could do. You know, that's either defensive protective or it's attacking. But what's the pain? Mm -hmm. And what's actually healthy? Are the bones strong? Is there enough business acumen? Is there enough competence that we have something to build on because you can get bad behavior from smart people (laughs) and you can actually have wonderfully caring people who don't understand certain fundamentals that may seem obvious to you or to me, but to them, they actually don't know them. And so they don't realize that they're trying so hard, but it can't possibly help. Um, you know, if you have a drill and you point it in the wrong direction, you can make a perfect hole, mm-hmm. but not necessarily where you want one. So trying to figure out, do they know what they need to understand generally? about running a business, their kind of business, this particular business. And what is really going wrong here? Yeah. And those are, I don't know if that's a model or not, but they are the two big open loops I walk in with. Like, like two, I think of a farmer carrying those feed buckets. Mm-hmm. And I want those buckets filled up so that I can then assess what I've got to work with.
0: That's I like that metaphor that's 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 good yeah can, so and then it can be explored uh, objectively and that's where things start to happen I, I have been part of so many consulting interventions where yeah it basically felt at the end of the day like we put a band-aid on an open sore, but the sore was never addressed yes um, it got covered up and, hate that oh yeah. That's, uh, stopped doing that about, uh, 15, 18, you know, about 18 years ago.
1: <laughs> That's yeah. good. That's healthier for you.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: yeah. it's better for them.
0: That keeps my soul alive. Right. Uh, Cause I get, you, know, the, you know, the curiosity is, is important there. So I mean, this is one of the ways that I was, as I was listening to your description here, it, you know, this is a paraphrase, but you know, you go in curious, yes. not, you know, with the assumption that what you're being told is the issue is actually the issue. And, you know, that curiosity can begin to uncover a lot of very interesting things. And that, you know, is, is where the work begins to happen.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Partially because when I'm curious, sometimes they hear their own speech in a new way. Mm-hmm. I was just with a new client yesterday. Of course they hadn't thought of the questions I asked them. <laughs> You know, otherwise they wouldn't have called me. But as they're thinking about it, oh yeah, oh no, we didn't do that. Oh, we didn't ask that. Oh, we—they realize there's more going on than they've been seeing.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you talk about questions um, because I bring questions into the conversation a lot—not just questions, but uh, yeah, just the notion of questions as a as a leadership tool. Um, in my experience, questions actually serve two purposes. You know, one is you know they obviously give us information when we ask a question, but I think the more important thing is that a high quality question will send people looking in directions that they've never looked before for an answer. So, uh, as a, as a leader, I want to be a, I want to be an artist. I want to be a master of asking high quality questions. Yeah, you know, what's a question I've never asked that can give me information I've never seen or heard before. That, you know, it, it, that, that gets interesting. Um, so, you know, without divulging confidentialities here, but, you know, you know what was a question that you could have asked or that you did ask yesterday with this client that they went, wow, never thought of that? I,
1: I, start, <laughs> I started by asking about some of the history of the circumstance, because people are much more comfortable starting with the facts that they feel are well-established and everyone knows. Um, And then I moved on to a combination. This was a circumstance in which I was being brought in to coach somebody. And except in the most enlightened of places, that doesn't happen unless someone is somehow falling down on the job. So you know there's already unhappiness and disappointment on the part of the leader and probably distress if not resentment fear on the part of the person to be coached so getting the leader's history and this is so often the case they're just looking at you know the tip of the iceberg they're looking at the thing they're not getting that they think they should be getting that they're confident they've explained etc etc but it turned out that this person's job was not set up well. So, I was asking, I mean, they didn't realize this at all until I asked all these repetitive questions about why did you assign him this way? And why did you assign him those people? And why did you assign him these goals? And do you see how this might counteract that And do you see how this is a structural problem? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you see their eyes light up about that, you know, they have a whole new view of the waterfront that they didn't have before. Yeah.
0: I love, see, yeah. In the, in my book, Compassionate Capitalism, a journey to the soul of business, what you're describing there is part of that journey and it begins with, you know, that questions that unbundle. The system so that we can have access to that life giving force.
1: Yes. And the other thing that is wonderful. If you catch somebody with the right question, you get access to them. In a way that you didn't have before, you know, you're on different sides of the table and they're careful. Even people who want you to come and help because um, one of the senior people said, okay, I know you don't have magic. And I said, you better believe it because if I had, I'd be fixing somebody else's problem. (laughs) But they are hoping, they really are hoping, whether it's a laying on of hands or you'll just know which um, thing to pull out of the Jenga setup, they hope you can just put your finger right on it. But as you show them that just as you talked about covering the soul, these problems exist because of a process of accretion. Yes. Layers and layers, decisions on decisions. And that when you go back and question it all, then you can see, can we start over? Yeah. How do we intervene best?
0: See, and that kind of, for me, I love that, because that kind of brings me back full circle to this question of conflict again, mm. and it's been my experience, um, and correct me if I'm off base here with this, but, yeah, you know, just about every conflict situation I have encountered in organizations are conflicts of conclusion, and when I say conflicts of conclusion, it's kind of, it's a point of view. I have decided that this is the way that it is, and those conclusions Are supported by unexamined assumptions. Yes. And so the conflict is presenting at the conclusion level. Yes. And the solution is to not even focus on that, go underneath that. Okay, what, and this is what I understood you to do here was start exploring the scaffolding. Yeah, just kind of how do we get here? That's right. Assumptions have led to this, to that, to that.
1: That's, That's exactly right when you said conflict of conclusion i was so happy because the next thing you said was the word that was in my mind and that's that it's a conflict of assumptions yeah we believe different things about the same situation yeah and sometimes they're so different that we actually believe we're dealing with different situations
0: well you know there's approximately 8 billion people on the planet round numbers and we, we run around thinking that we're all from the same place, I mean, you know, generically here. We, we live on the planet Earth. But what's also true is we each inhabit our own unique worlds. Your world is very different than my world, and, and on and on and on. Everybody that I encounter, my wife has a different world than I live in. And so I am continuously encountering aliens. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm encountering people from different worlds every time I turn around. Yes. And to assume that their world and my world are simpatico, that, they're, that they are the same, and so we would have the same meaning made up about things is, is, is crazy. It's not going to work. So and this is, again, I get on my soapbox here, but yeah, when I start approaching people and situations as if it's an alien speaking to me, and my job is to understand their language, understand their worldview, literally, that's where I start having meaningful and useful and generative process and progress
1: yes the value in that is because when we think and and the sociologists and anthropologists might talk about it as different tribes and there's so much science now about all kinds of cognitive bias (laughs) and various neurological processes that actually occur physiologically when we believe someone is of our tribe versus not of our tribe absolutely When we go in thinking that the other person is like us, and they behave in a way we don't understand, we are very quick to assume they are against us. And that comes to what you described before, the taking of positions. And then people stand their ground as if giving up an inch means the loss of the world, when just opening the conversation might be a way to find a much better world
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and i and i believe that that is you know the the when conflict is dealt with creatively and generatively that is what happens the it, and it's a, um it's not a zero sum process
1: no yeah.
0: yeah it actually is an expansion and in yeah
1: that's true even figuring out which movie we're going to go to.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I've had that conversation many times.
1: Right. Or what are you going to do when. And this could be true for anybody in your listening audience, two different customers want to see you on the same morning. Yep. No human is actually in conflict with any other human, but there sure is a schedule conflict. And it needs to be worked, but all it needs is to be assessed and addressed.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and get it on the table, much like you were describing. I mean, if I can't see it, I can't work with it. If I can hold it outside of me, by definition, it's it's the subject-object dynamic. If I can hold this thing outside of me, I am not so invested or attached to it because the experience is it's outside of me. As long as it's remaining in here and not labeled, that's where I have a problem because I think it's me that's in play.
1: That's really interesting because a technique I give to some clients is to actually think the whole thing is inside of you. It's all you. Well, yeah. it's, you know, it, it works either yeah. way. It's amazing.
0: That, yeah. One of the things I often, I mean, I will, this is part of my coaching you know, modality is there's nobody out there but me. Right. So yeah, you know, it's all projection you know, right. in some very fundamental ways. So, uh, I mean, that gets to be a real interesting paradox, you know, <laughs> and, and they're both true. I mean, I say true in the sense that they're both functionally operative. I can actually work with them both.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Although I have to say I have very few clients to whom I would say that's a projection. Hmm. Instead, I would say, tell me how you know that.
0: Yeah. Well, What's your good.
1: evidence for that?
0: Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, I had a client in a hospital system a number of years ago that uh, was having a lot of difficulty with um, one of her peers. And the invitation, and this goes to the point of, you know, there's nobody out there but me. Um, I said, look, you know, what if you just started imagining him being the kind of person you would like him to be? Now, he's not going to change. So, you know, changing him is not what we're trying to do here. Um, but if you started imagining him in a different way, now there's an energetic dynamic that comes into play here. So, start being grateful for, you know, you know in the conflict, you, know, you learn something about yourself. Sometimes it's not pleasant. But so she said, well, I mean, that's kind of a crazy way to do this. I said, but I, I understand that. But what I'd like you to do is just play with this for a while if you're willing to. And, and to her credit, she was. And about no, it took about seven, eight months later. Uh, I was talking with her, and we, you know, she was one of my uh, clients in this group, and she said, "I don't know what's going on with him, but he's changed." I went, "What, what do you mean he's changed?" Well, he's he's not the curmudgeon, you know, there's my words for it, but he's not the he's not the you know the curmudgeon that I thought he was. He's actually got you know. And then she started talking about some of the attributes that I knew were true about him, mm-hmm. and I went, "Well, that's really interesting." The only thing that had fundamentally changed was her worldview about him, and it was being translated into, yeah, from an energetic dynamic. The soul was in play, she was connecting in a different way. She was connecting with something a little different. So so that gets to be kind of an interesting dynamic.
1: Yeah. It's really true. I think it's very interesting for people to see how when they create space for others, what those others, the space that those others take up is not always what they expected.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, there's something about, you know, when you, you talked about cognitive bias, um, when I start changing cognitively, you know, how I'm viewing things. I start sorting for things, and this is you know, Chris Argus's uh, ladder of inference in the part. I, st- I start paying attention to things in a different way and yes. I start assigning meaning to things that is different than what it was before. It may be the exact same thing that was going on, but the meaning that I'm assigning to it now is literally fostering a different emotional experience, which translates into a different behavior.
1: Absolutely. So I'm going to give you one of the questions I give many of my clients when they are stuck in making assumptions about somebody else in a negative way. Uh I ask them, and and I actually talk about this in the TEDx, why would a smart person do such a stupid thing? (laughs) Because when they can pause for a moment and think about, yeah, why would that happen? Yeah, I know they're not a fool. They're distressing me no end and they're in my way and my team is disrupted and I can't do A, B, C, D, E. But why would they be doing that? And then they start to brainstorm a little little bit about that just in the way you talked about having more generative thinking. Then they realize There's something that person is afraid of. There's something that person needs to accomplish. There's something that person is on the hook for. Just the fact that there are all these possibilities other than she's out to get me, he hates my guts. You know, any of those antagonistic things where they feel like the target.
0: Yeah, yeah. See, and, and th- I love that because what you're talking about there is how to have a healthy conflict. Uh, it doesn't have to be personalized to the point where I start tearing down somebody. Um, you know, Haruki Murakami, a uh, Japanese philosopher, um, always remember that to argue and to win is to break down the reality of the person you're arguing against. And he goes on to say, it's, it, it's painful to lose your reality, so be kind, even if you're right.
1: Yes. Yes, that ties. In. That quote. Yeah, that's yes. excellent, and it ties in so much with my premise that you look for the pain first.
0: Yeah, that that's kind of. A, I was hoping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get to that, yeah.
1: Yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, because you know, where there's pain, there is a solution. Now, you know, which again, it kind of seems like an oxymoron, but there is a solution embedded there. Yes. And. Yeah. yeah there was never a problem presented without a solution being yeah in in play in some way shape or form
1: that's right, even if it's a painful solution i mean what what's the thing Churchill said about keep going you know when you're going through hell, keep going, going sometimes yeah. you have to go through,
0: you get through to get
1: but it's better to know what you're going through,
0: yeah, yeah that helps yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it helps quiet the mind if I know what it is that I'm wrestling with. If, you know, That uncertainty can be off putting. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's no yeah. question about that. Yeah. So, what's been the most challenging? Um, oh, what's the word I'd use here? Uh, you know, when, when we're, you know, put this in the context of the soul of business, you know, keeping connected to soul. You've done a lot of work in a lot of different market sectors with some very interesting. Uh, Companies: the American Red Cross, Orvis, Girl Scouts, Comcast, uh, Janssen. I mean, you, you, just just to name some of them here. And and I want to talk to you about Orvis because I'm a fly fisherman. But well, uh, <laughs> yeah. In 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 your career, what's been one of the most rewarding uh, interventions or pieces of work that you've done that actually connected back to the soul and brought aliveness back into the system?
1: Oh, man. So, I think, so I have a flood of different faces in front of me right now. Um, I'm thinking of a couple of different ones. And you know, they all have to do with helping people learn how to think differently. From the way they thought before we started working together. Um, For some people, it's about learning about how to think more empathetically or more compassionately. But for one woman, it was literally teaching her math. Because and this is this goes back to the issue of is there competence and acumen. Because until she was able to analyze the data, and this is years ago when there weren't huge models running things, when she did not know her own numbers for her work group, Uh she was less capable of deciding what needed to be addressed, what didn't need to be addressed, how to set priorities, or how to make a case to her management for what resources she needed. And this is like lighting somebody's way mm-hmm. because being able to understand and explain whatever your evidence is, as opposed to just your feeling about things, is absolutely crucial.
0: Yeah. That, you know, that you know, speaks to you know I've got a leadership body of work that I developed. And one of the pieces of it is personal mastery. And if I'm going to be in a position of responsibility as a leader in a business environment in particular, I have to have a certain degree of acumen, a certain degree of competency, you know, and I'm going to put all of that into a big bushel basket and call it personal mastery. I have to be a master of my domain. Um, So it's incumbent on me to develop those skills. Otherwise, I'm going to be internally conflicted. And that's going to show up in my results. It's going to show up in my, uh, my leadership style. And it's going to show up in the way that I subsume and keep covered. Uh, others desire to grow because I am going to, when I, when my competency feels like it's under attack, that's when I get rigid.
1: Yes. And yes.
0: That rigidity, and yeah.
1: Yes. And, and maybe even worse not only might you feel under attack, but when you are not competent, you're effectively blundering around in the dark. You could be crashing your car against all kinds of things and all you know is that you keep being wounded, but you don't know why. Right. There's no way to shift out of that until somebody turns a light on.
0: Yeah, yeah. And all you got in, I've just got a brake pedal and a gas pedal. Right. And those, and I'm not sure what the steering wheel does
1: right, right, yeah, yeah. rough
0: stuff oh, that's a great metaphor. my guest today has been Liz um, Liz Kislick, and you know we're talking about I, this has been fascinating for me just a wide ranging uh, you know, kind of exploration here mm-hmm. just the nature of organizational life um, and life in you know, life in organizations, not just organizational life right. um, what how can people find out more about your work and what you're up to
1: uh, if they go to my website which is www.lizkislick.com and i assume you'll put a link to that someplace
0: yeah and just real quickly for those of you that have got quick fingers here it's liz l i z kislick k i s l i k and, and so it's all one word .com lizkislick.com
1: and if they're there there's lots of material i write every week my articles are there and there's actually a free ebook that some of your listeners might like that uh, specifically looks at the interpersonal aspects of conflict in the workplace.
0: Beautiful, what's the title of it?
1: I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't remember. Okay. It's kind, but it's, that's what it's about. Uh-huh. And of course they can find me on LinkedIn, you know, Twitter, and, and they can go watch the TEDx, but they can also find that on my site. So
0: it's all there. there. Okay, great. Again, my, my guest here has been Liz Kislik. And Liz, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I, I've loved this conversation. I, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely delightful. And I, you know, I love you know, what you bring to the table here, you know, your intelligence, your experience. Thank you so much for sharing it.
1: So nice, Blaine. Thank you. I really appreciate it. It has been a lovely conversation.
0: Okay. If you'll hold on for just a minute here, I'm going to kind of put a close to this and then we'll go offline and I'll talk a little bit. Um, you've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Again, I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. And you can also pick up a number of resources, uh, both video and um, written um, by going to that site, um, you're listening to this podcast. Be sure you subscribe to it so that you don't miss an episode. And we have a new book out, or I have a new book out right now that um, when you go onto the website, you'll find out more about it. It's called The uh, Leadership Mindset Weekly, and it is a uh, collection of 52 weeks worth of meditations on the topic of leadership. Mm. So feel free to. Uh, Grab a copy of that when you go to the site, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Again, Blaine Bartlett, my guest today has been Liz Kislik. Until next time, take care. Mm -hmm.